Hello, and welcome to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about upcoming events, this podcast, and for other resources, visit candygibbs.com. All right, moving into the last, last session. We're going to talk about the disciples <clears throat> as it relates to coming in and going out. So we have established that there is a flow in our relationship with the Lord to come in and to go out. But as we discussed earlier, most of us are naturally more bent towards one or the other. So if, let's talk about those who come in. If I'm coming in and I have a healthy coming in kind of thing going, I am going to experience things like security, identity, refreshing, Peace, refilling, joy, all of those are going to come from a healthy coming in. Can you think of anything else that you would gain from having a healthy, abiding relationship with the Lord where I'm coming in in an intimate place and receiving? What are some other things that you think you would gain from that? Wisdom and confidence. Exactly. True godly love for others. Yes. The loss of fear. That's right, because the word says he has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. The ability to humble ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I heard Beth Moore one time say that the Lord told her, Beth, you can bow your knee or I can break your leg. (laughs) I think I might have heard something like that in myself. Anything else? Discernment. Discernment. And we need discernment for sure in the times that we're living in. Okay, so if I have an unhealthy coming in, which means I'm just coming in, (laughs) And there's no flow, right? We don't have the cycle going. It can create things like spiritual laziness, entitlement, fear of the battle that is outside and around. It can cause you to be stagnant in your faith. Um, Again, there has to be this flowing in order for it to be healthy. What are some other things if someone's only withdrawing and sort of coming in, but they're never giving out? What are, you, what are some things that you think that could create? Pride. Pride. Mm-hmm. I think you could get probably a little self-righteous in a situation like that. And fear. Fearful. Anger. Anger. Weariness. Yep. Mm-hmm. Weariness. Okay, so those of us who are more bent towards going out in a healthy uh, situation, that could be faith building. Um, When you see the Lord do something new and you experience something like we saw at Rise Camps or all of the different ways in your life, it makes you think, hey, yeah, I can face that next thing. That's faith building. can give you confidence. Um, It can make you effective and it can cause you to be spiritually fit. Some things if we're going out, but it's in an unhealthy way. It can cause you to be cynical. 
exhausted, angry, prideful? What are some things you think with going out but in an unhealthy way? Alone. Alone. Burned out. Burned out. Overwhelmed. Discouraged. Oh, yeah, it can cause you to kind of just give up. You know, when, when you think about this cycle of going in and coming out, it really does look a lot like being physically healthy. It is good for me to enjoy food and relaxing and resting and receiving and filling up and all of those things. But it is also the way that God created me to expel calories. I do not like or enjoy any kind of working out. But when I do it, at the end of it, I am like, I feel so much better right? And when your body starts to take a better shape, you're like, oh, this is so great. I don't have, you know, 15 extra pounds. I've got more energy to do what God has called me to do. Well, it's the same spiritually. You're supposed to intake all of these blessings from the Lord and you receive all of this, but God called you to make an impact and that requires expelling spiritual calories, and until you do that, you don't know what it feels like to feel fulfilled in what God has called you to do. And the more you do it, the more you desire that. And so it is a healthy cycle of life to come in, to receive, to give out. And we have to get this down. And we will get it down in the middle of a storm because the perfect situation is not coming. So on purpose, and because we have power, love, and a sound mind, we can choose to purpose ourselves to come in, and then when he's got me prepared, I'm going to go out and do what he's called me to do. So let's look at the disciples. Um, you should spend some time um, maybe in your secret place considering the relationship that Jesus had with different people in his life. Because he was the savior of the world, the word become flesh, the son of God. He had a lot on his plate. And he valued and he loved relationships. And he loved intimate relationships and he loved groups of people, and he still found time to have these very meaningful one-on-one -on -one interactions with people in his life. So I want to read just a little um, about how and who Jesus interacted with after his resurrection. So I'm going to read John 20, starting in verse, verse 11. And Mary Magdalene was actually the first person that Jesus saw after his resurrection. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, 
She stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Okay, I'm just going to say right here. If I saw two angels sitting there, I don't think I would say they took him away. <laughs> I mean, do you think they could have taken him away from in front of the angels? That's a strange, but okay, that's what she said to the angels. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. And Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go and tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary went and announced to the, to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. One um, beautiful story that I'm not, I didn't look up the reference for, but um, when John, the disciple, is exiled on the island of Patmos and he's being given the revelation, um, Jesus appears to him. And Jesus doesn't look anything like Jesus. And that's where it describes him as uh, having eyes like fire and all of those things. And John is just face down on the ground. But what he recognizes and when he realizes that it's Jesus is when he sees his feet. And I think that is such a sweet thing because how many dirty, dusty roads had they walked together. And when John saw the feet of Jesus and the scars, that's when he recognized that that was his Savior. So then Jesus appears to the disciples. This is in John 20 verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And then after that, Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I think Thomas kind of got a bad rap here because if you were one of the disciples and you were not in the room when Jesus came, I don't necessarily think it means he was a doubter. I think he's like, what? <laughs> I wanted to see too. 
<clears throat> Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Um, then Jesus appears to seven disciples, and this is where they're out fishing and they're not catching any fish, and he tells them to cast their net again, and then he cooks breakfast for them, and they come and have breakfast. And then the word tells us that he appears to Peter, and this is when he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? If you do, feed my sheep. And he says it to him three times. Can you, do you know why he said it three times? That's right. And so that was Jesus' way of reminding Peter, hey, you are forgiven. I was chastised for your peace, and you are forgiven and healed and restored. And then he saw a man named Cephas. He saw more than 500 brothers at one time. And then the Bible says that he went to see his brother James. There's a scripture that Jesus is saying, I've been with you. We're talking about, I don't even remember exactly what this reference is, but at the end of it, he says, I'll be right back and we'll continue this, but I've got to go see my brother. I've got to go see James. And this was James, his brother. And uh, James didn't believe for a long time. It would be really hard for your big brother to be the Messiah. I mean, I bet you'd be like, yeah. Um, but he makes it a point to go and to visit with James. All of these intimate encounters with people that Jesus loved, people that he sought out to reveal himself to. But you are no different than all of those disciples. Actually, the last thing that he said to Thomas was, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, that's you. You don't get to put your finger in the wounds or your hand in his side, but you believe. And he still seeks you out just the same as he did with these because he desires to have one-on-one -on -one intimate relationship with you. I'm going to read you one last passage. This is in Acts chapter 1. starting in verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you be at this time, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
So what actually is happening here is he tells them to stay in Jerusalem because the Feast of Pentecost is about to happen. And in the Jewish tradition, men had to present themselves in Jerusalem at the Feast of Pentecost. And so that is why there were so many people in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit came. They were there for the peace, Feast of Pentecost, and that is when the Lord gave the Holy Spirit. And Peter comes out, and he preaches, and 3,000 Jews receive Jesus as their Savior on that day in one day. Um, but Jesus called them in first. Go into the upper room. I'm going to send my presence. And then you're going to go out into Samaria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And you're going to be my witnesses. And that another thing that I think is pretty amazing is that these disciples lived with Jesus for three years during his ministry. And they were terrified when he was killed because they did not know what was going to happen to them. Um, and then he ascends and he says, go wait in the upper room until I send the Holy Spirit. They're still scared, locked up in these rooms just waiting. But whatever happened at this encounter on the day of Pentecost changed those people into men who were willing to die unspeakable deaths. Um, if you've never read how the, the disciples actually gave their lives as martyrs, it's unbelievable. One of them was skinned alive. They were pulled apart. They were crucified. They were crucified upside down. I mean, so they went from, I am so scared I'm locked in this room, to I am willing to die a horrible death to be who he has called me to be because they went in and they received power, encouragement, identity, strength, boldness, and then they went out. And <clears throat> when you come in, the same thing happens. You receive. You come in. You can be vulnerable, completely unveiled before the Lord. And then when you go out, you will leave a mark and you will take ground and you will be who he's called you to be. And the interesting thing this morning when I was praying for you and just imagining uh, what you all must look like in the spirit when you go in and the Lord <clears throat> encourages you and he calls you and he equips you and he gives you his presence and his power and then you come out of there. Well, in my mind, I'm envisioning you all coming out of the secret place veiled. And very quickly, the Lord says, yes, they are veiled, but they are also covered in armor. And I want you to know that you are so protected. The word says that you have been give, given a helmet of salvation. I believe that is because your thought life needs to remember all the things that the Lord has saved you from. And it is His salvation, His blood, all the things that He did for you that takes captive all of those crazy thoughts that we have, doubting who we are and who He's called us to be. And then the Word says that as part of your armor, you have a breastplate of righteousness. 
And that is his righteousness, not yours. And every time God the Father looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ protecting the most valuable organs of who you are, protecting your heart. It is the righteousness of Christ. And then the word says that you have a belt of truth. There is such a thing as truth. And it is a standard. And it is what we believe. And it is what we are unwilling to give up any more ground for. And it is the standard that we raise. But it comes around your middle, which is your core. It's what gives you balance. It's what allows you to move around. Um, then your feet are covered with the gospel of peace. That means if I don't feel peace, I don't move my feet. Peace governs my steps and my motion. And as long as I feel peace, then I believe that God's calling me to go forward. But you know what's not covered is your back. God never intended for you to turn, tuck tail, and run. Your back is not covered. And you know why? Because it's your sisters and your brothers and the body of Christ that's supposed to have your back. So we should probably stop stabbing each other in the back. Um, but we are covered. Feet covered with peace. Belt covered with truth. The righteousness of God covering our hearts. Salvation covering our minds. And then you have a shield of faith. And I pray that you have a huge shield of faith. When the enemy looks at you, that that's all he can see. I don't know much, but I know I believe everything that he has ever said. And I will tuck in behind that shield of faith when those arrows start to fly my way. And when my friend or my sister or my child or my husband does not have the strength to hold up their shield, I will hold mine up until they gain it back. But we stand together. And then the word says that you have a sword of the Spirit. And this is the word of God. And you have to start saying out loud the things that the Lord is speaking to you through his word. And you continue to advance. And when you are tired, and when you need a break, and you need to rest, then you run back to the refuge. And you come in. And then you get to take all of that off. Because there's no need for protection. There's no need for veiling. And you come into the secret place. And the Lord says, I know one kind of nicked you right there. And let me heal that. And he doesn't just put a band-aid, but he brings complete healing. And that's when you get to pour out your heart and say, gosh, I, I tried really hard, but I really got my feelings hurt. Or I said some things I shouldn't have said. And he brings refreshing, healing. And then when it's time to go back out, he helps you get that armor back on. But he isn't going to be content with you sitting in the recliner. Because there is a world that is desperate for you to get this cycle down. To learn to abide and to learn to fight. So we're just going to end this afternoon. You have a journal, or if you want to write it on something that you brought with you. 
I have some questions that I just want you to ask the Lord. <clears throat> so whatever you, if you want to spread out, you can. If you're good where you are, that's great. But I just want you to take a few minutes and ask the Lord, am I veiling appropriately? Am I uncovered and vulnerable in your presence? And am I protecting and valuing the intimacy of our relationship? Then I want you to ask him, how am I doing about coming in? Am I allowing you to fill me and restore me without becoming stagnant? And then how am I doing with my going out? Am I putting on the armor and standing in your strength and not my own? When I come in from the fight into the secret place, am I removing my armor to meet you uncovered? God, we just invite you to come and speak to us and we are listening for your word, God. Thank you that you speak to us individually. And thank you, Lord that you have not left us alone or ill-equipped and that you desire intimate relationship with us. I just love you, God. I'm just so thankful for your relationship with us, God, for your tenderness. I thank you too, God, that you stand with us and you trust us and you fight with us. We choose you every day, God. Help us to be who you've called us to be. Thanks for listening to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. For more information and other resources, visit candygibbs.com.